Parenting is Political is only made possible because of listeners like you. If you would like to help support the podcast, you can go to our website, parentingispolitical.org, and become a monthly subscriber. Also, don't forget to like us on Facebook and check out our Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the episode. All right, welcome back to Parenting is Political. My name is Mo. I'm Jasmine. We are joined, as always, with her co-host, August, who is our seventh-month-old baby. So if you hear baby noises, it's, it's August. We believe that it's totally, it should be totally normalized to have your children participate in your work, and um, we support normalizing that, and so that's why August is here with us. And if Mo sounds far off, they are currently standing up with a baby strapped to them in the ergo because August is teething and not interested in playing on the floor being chill. <laughs> so this is what you do. Or sleeping or any of that. Or, or not cluster breastfeeding. <laughs> yeah, it's been a great time over here. Um, it has been a while since I did an episode, y'all. We made it through the holidays, which... You know, thank goodness those are over, and uh, unexpectedly our kids' school got shut down, and so we decided to homeschool them, and so I've been getting my feet underneath me as far as that goes, and I have been putting off parenting as political, which, you know, I'm sad about, but I'm glad I'm back, and we got some really good episodes coming up for y'all. So, some of the feedback that we've gotten from our listeners is that they would like something more, a little bit more, like, concrete, something more tangible. Um, we've been doing a lot of, like, intellectual, cerebral thinking about parenting, um, which I think was necessary, and I'm, I'm glad that we did it. I think the episodes that we have out um, are really beneficial to listen to. However, with the feedback that we have gotten, the next couple episodes, I want to take some time to talk about um, some concrete, intangible things that we do um, in parenting that creates white supremacy culture. Um, usually, I think um, I think it's fair to say when we think of white supremacy, we can sometimes think of the KKK, like people walking around in hoods and you know d- lynchings and like all those really extreme things. Um, however, white supremacy is it's a culture. There are ideas and beliefs. There's patterns and behaviors that. We all participate that um, create the society that we currently are living in and um, make it a nice nice home for white supremacy to really thrive in. And so we've made a couple posts on our social media accounts that say that, you know, nobody raises a white supremacist um, on accident. So some of y'all maybe be like, well, what does that mean? I don't know. I don't understand. And so the next couple episodes, Jasmine and I are going to talk about the different characteristics of white supremacy, what that means, how we're teaching that to our kids, and then some of the antidotes to white supremacy characteristics. So what are things that we can do that would counteract those characteristics? Um, and I think one of the first ones that is probably most prominent, I find, is uh, the idea of perfectionism. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about perfectionism, Jess? Or do you want me to do it? You can, you can define it for the listeners. Okay, cool. So, um, perfectionism, I'm sure some of you are familiar with that word, but as it pertains to the white supremacy culture that perfectionism is a characteristic of, um, it shows up in the idea that very little appreciation is expressed for the people within, like, either a work environment or a family environment, and instead of 
appreciation, it's usually more common to point out how somebody is doing something wrong or incorrect. And even if there is appreciation that is given, it's usually given towards the people who get the most credit anyway. So those who already have a lot of the power. Um, <laughs> sorry, looked like you were about to say something. Um, also, perfectionism, a lot of it has to do with... Um, let me see here. Yes, it's, it's also, it connects a mistake that somebody made with them being a bad person. Um, and I see this a lot in parenting. Um, we talk about, like, are you being a good kid or a bad kid? Um, that's usually based on your behaviors, right? And what you're doing is you're teaching young ones that their behaviors define who they are and their, their value and their worth as a person. Um, and that, again, is feeding into this idea that you have to be perfect, and the, the better you are, the better of a person you are, the better decisions that you make, all that stuff. So perfectionism really feeds into that idea that your choices, your behaviors define if you're good or you're bad. There's very little nuance. It's usually like black and white thinking, which is another characteristic that we'll get to. Either or thinking. Yeah, either or thinking. Um, that is like either you're all good or you're all bad, and there's very little nuance for anything in between. And perfectionism really leans heavily on that idea. Is there anything you want to add to that? I think you summed it up pretty well. Cool. Um, some other things, like I said before, mistakes are seen as personal. Um, it reflects back on the person who made the mistake, um, as opposed for being seen. The mis mistakes are just mistakes. That's, that's all they are. They happen. People are humans. Kids are humans. Mistakes are going to happen. But we keep equating it back to their worth and their value. Yeah, so I think an important thing to note for folks, because uh, frequently on our social media channels, you can see us say things, as Mo outlined, that no one raises a white supremacist by accident, that it's all really intentional design. And what we mean by that is not, you're not necessarily going to directly raise, all of us um, aren't going to directly raise a kid who, um, you know, marches with the tiki torches or is, um, you know, dressed in KKK regalia and burns crosses or most recently wears a Make America Great hat while um, racially harassing black folks at demonstrations or indigenous elders. Um, and there are some who will do that. Yeah. They will absolutely do that because the explicit things that they are teaching um, are rooted in the classic examples or the most readily uh, intense examples of white supremacy or how white culture would define them as intense or uh, militant whiteness. Uh, but the reality is that white supremacy culture is a state of mind. It is a way of thinking. It is a way of believing. And it is the complicity, complicity directly or indirectly, with a system um, that's inside you and outside of you. And you can, inf you can um, confirm that system and you can make a choice in, in any behavior that you're dealing with to affirm that, that whiteness or to agitate and dismantle it and reject it. 
And so, like James Baldwin and Nikki Giovanni classically talked about in one of their um, one of their chats, uh, Nikki s- said to the audience that um, when she was speaking to James Baldwin, she said that you can have a white face with a white mind. You can have a black face with a white mind. You can have a white face with a black mind. Um, and so, the the way that we think and how our thoughts shape our beliefs and our beliefs shape our actions and our actions shape our participation in larger systems. That's what white supremacy culture calls out. And so to build on what Mo said, perfectionism is a habit of whiteness. And um, we see this show up in lots and lots of places, particularly when we are um, raising our children. Yeah. So, does that sort of bring it together in a package as you were expecting, Mo? Yeah, totally. And I think that um, ways that, ways that, like you said, that maybe we aren't even, like, fully conscious of, um, some of these things have just, like, really seeped in and are ingrained in our society because our society was built um, for white supremacy. Well, and I think it's, I think it's really important for all of us to recognize wherever we fall on our racial racial presentations um, or, uh, you know, definitions of personhood as it relates to race and ethnicity, that we're a part of this, mm-hmm. right? We're all a part of this system. And we've all internalized it in some way. Um, and some of us are making ourselves into different versions of what we were taught to believe, right? Whether it's a white person who says, I know I was taught that I was superior. I know that I was taught these certain things and granted access to these certain levels of power. I'm unmaking that. Right. The same thing for the black person or the indigenous person, right? Like we are unmaking those things that these, the system, these legends and myths have taught us about ourselves. And in, in undoing that, we have to have some other pathway to build resiliency, to build the kind of worlds that we imagine. And we're really, really good about pointing out the problem and saying, oh, that's perfectionism because here's my list of definitions um, and here's my list of, of habits. But we don't recognize how um, the nuance, the more quiet things that um, are embedded in us actually are doing the most harm. And so uh, evaluating it from the intersection of parenting is really, really important. Yeah, because that's, that's how like, all these ideas and these um, thoughts and behaviors and beliefs get passed down um, is through how we're interacting with young people. So, you know, some great questions to like ask and be reflective on because that is an antidote to perfectionism is taking the time to be reflective on mistakes and patterns and behaviors and, you know, making changes where necessary and not adding, you know, extra value to your worth based on your mistakes. Um, you know, taking the time to reflect and ask, like, what, what are we teaching our kids about perfectionism? Um, is that something that we're teaching? Or are we teaching them that you don't have to be perfect, that mistakes are just mistakes? Um, and I think that it starts with you know, how, how we treat ourselves as parents and how we treat our partners in front of our kids. Um, and then also, like, the messaging that we're sending to our kids around perfectionism. Thank you, August. Oh, that was a very good point, August. Thank you, August. Um, 
So, I think it might be helpful, Mo, to unpack how perfectionism shows up for you, maybe. Yeah. Let me see them, and I'll, I'll nurse them, and we'll see if that makes things better. Uh, come here, Aldi. We are upset. Come here. Oh, no. Are you hungry? There you go. So, I definitely struggle with perfectionism. It's something that, um... Well, I wouldn't even say that I struggled with it before I became aware of it. I think it was just how I was living my life, which is, like, <laughs> the great paradox of all of this. But it's something that, like, I'm keenly um, aware to now. And there's lots of examples, I think, that come to mind of how this shows up in my life. But one of the biggest ones, I think, is, like, my, um, you know, my immediate response to a mistake that I make is based upon, like, my value and worth as a person. And we, you, I mean, I think you can attest to this in our relationship as a couple. There have been several times where <laughs> I have done something, um, you know, unintentionally harmful or hurtful, or I've just, you know, made a silly mistake or something. And instead of being able to go, huh, that was a mistake. I see that. I wonder what I can learn from it. And then like move on so I can like be present with my wife and kids Sometimes it's taken me, like, days, sometimes even weeks to, like, recoup and to get my mindset back on, like, I can do this, I've got this, like, it, you know, one of the, the first examples that comes into my head of, like, how I've grown in this regard is just this past week, um, I was trying to make a quiche, and I put it in a tart pan and didn't have the technique quite right, and so when the butter started melting in the crust all of the eggs started leaking through the tart pan onto our oven and it was a whole mess and it almost caught on fire and nobody got to eat quiche for lunch. And I was like super frustrated, but I wasn't frustrated at myself. I was just frustrated that we didn't get to eat quiche and that it was going to be good. And I was mad that we didn't get to have it in the past though, before I started practicing like undoing these ideas of, perfectionism, I would have been like, wow, Mo, you're so stupid. Like, how dare you make that mistake? Your family all has to suffer because of you. Hmm. And like, and that's not, I don't even know if that was like consciously built into me or if it was intentional, but it was like very much, that used to be like my first go-to. Well, I think it is, I think it is, I think it is built in. And that's why it's really important to unpack how perfectionism shows up for each of us in mm-hmm. so many different ways. Because once we unpack it and we are honest about those vulnerable places, we can start seeing the real messages, right? Right. And so your habits of perfectionism, it sounds like, were centered around um, intellect yeah, and learning. And so underneath that, if we dive even deeper, is a form of ableism Mm -hmm. that celebrates only certain ways that folks think and learn and only certain skill sets, right? It's super ableist. Right, it is. Uh, Folks who show up as uh, different and they're not neurotypical, um, they don't, you know, they don't set this, they don't, um, what is the word I'm looking for here? they don't qualify under that standard of perfection, mm-hmm. right? right? So for you, at some point, whiteness and the culture that surrounds it taught you that good white people 
have a certain level of skill, a certain level of ability, and a certain level of intellectual capacity. Mm -hmm. And to deviate in any way outside of that means that you are not the appropriate kind of white person. You're less than superior. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, what a great way to unpack that. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So that's the insidious way that perfectionism shows up, right? Mm -hmm. And we also see it in... Augie's dead nursing. Here you go. Okay. And we also see it in the white body, mm-hmm. right? Um, and the white whiteness is highly dependent upon gender binaries and strict gender roles. And within those gender binaries, particularly those that are assigned female at birth and socialized as female, are required to have a certain kind of body type. And a certain kind of functionality from their body. Um, And it it becomes this paradox because when you enter in patriarchy and capitalism, uh, the the message is never never, um, clear and congruent. Right? Mixed that, messaging is okay. Right, right. You know, we, we start having a conversation about the virgin versus the whore. Like, you're you're assigned female at birth. You're supposed to be virginal until I want you as my object. Then be my whore. And then I resent you for being my object because you should be pure. Because what I'm dealing with is um, the my unresolved feelings around my sexuality and sexual power and shame. Right? So that's a whole other ball of wax. But whenever, if we... If we parse it down to very simple, um, non-complicated approach to understanding the body, underneath perfectionism, you as a non-binary person who is assigned female at birth also received messages that you are less than or you are other because mm-hmm. underneath white whiteness's standard of perfection, your body didn't show up in the no. way that it was supposed to. Right? So even if the only thing a white person did um, who was assigned female at birth, uh, you know, and, and they were cisgender, that that assignment was an appropriate uh, marker for their gender identity and presentation, um, if, if, that, if the only thing that person did was be fat, that would yeah. be enough to go against the expectations that white supremacy culture and whiteness has underneath the model of perfection. But the trap is, and this is why white supremacy culture hurts white people just like it hurts people of color, um, but the trap is that you're human, and humanity mm-hmm. is dynamic, and it changes, and there's no way to box any one of us into a single thing. And so white supremacy culture hurts white people <laughs> and creates pathology, and that pathology combined with the ideals of supremacy um, with also these Um, unattainable standards creates these toxic addictions to the desire to strive and achieve power and domination, but also to resent that power and domination because you don't actually fit into it. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) That's really great. (laughs) I don't know how to follow that, honestly. (laughs) That was a fantastic analysis. And, um, one of the reasons I just really super appreciate you, Jazz. Aww. Um, so maybe maybe yeah. a way you can kind of let that soak in is I can share um, oh, how perfectionism shows up for me. Well, as I was about a, to as a ask you. Woman. Yeah, because you asked me and I wanted to make sure that you got to say how it shows up for you. So for, for me, Ouch. perfectionism 
tends to show up in um, not the mistakes of skill or intellect that I make, but in the mistakes of morality and ethics. Hmm. Uh, because at some point in my life, uh, underneath white supremacy culture, I internalize this message that I should be the wise black woman, that I oh, should yeah. be the um, strong black woman who rescues people. And so whenever I make mistakes out of my trauma, out of my fear of um, scarcity, out of just being a human who's sometimes an asshole and makes bad choices, <laughs> um, I flagellate myself and continually demean myself because of those mistakes. Mm. And I internalize the voices of my oppressors, um, the voices of uh, whiteness, and I tell myself that I am only the measure of my worst moments or the mistakes that I've made. Right. And rather than looking at it in a light of, oh, I made a mistake, it's an op opportunity to grow and be better, I constantly envision a future where the only form of identity that I have is uh, measured by, by all of the bad things that I've done. Mm -hmm. Right. Whereas the narratives for the people who have made mistakes and, and, and learned beyond those mistakes and triumphed and became better versions of themselves, those in my mind are always reserved for people with more power, whether mm -hmm. they're people of color or, um, or white people. It doesn't matter the racial divide or even the gender divide for me. It's just people who I perceive to have more power, more people like them could be one. And so they must be right and they must, mm. they must be allowed to make mistakes and grow. Um, and so m my habits of perfectionism don't really show up in an interpersonal way. They show up in a self-oriented way. Mm. And that's why I'm pretty susceptible to obsessive compulsive disorders right. and this uh, really myopic fixation on trying to do things perfect in a certain way or having them appear this way because if I have them appear that way, then it can confirm or deny that, that perfectionistic belief. Um, and it's a lot. Yeah. It, it's also a reason why, um, you know, eating disorders fall under the cultural uh, white supremacy habit of, of perfectionism. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Because at the at the root of all of it really is about control and desirability. Right. And, you know, for the history of our nation, desirability had a model, right? And it had a standard. And it's been it's been whiteness. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And that's why whiteness will even throw away white people who have visible disabilities. Yeah. You know, if, if, you know, there was a time in our history where white folks, well, all of us, of course, but white folks who primarily created the inst in certain institutions around child rearing um, would squirrel their, their chill, like pull their children away in um, homes for kids with disability because they didn't, because their child with cerebral palsy or their child with Down syndrome or whatever um, visible disability were, they were not, they didn't, weren't allowed space. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh it's upsetting, I know. So, so it's a wrap, lot. Yeah, it is a lot. And to kind of bring it all back together, like how are we, you and I as parents, yeah, trying to combat this idea of perfectionism as we're raising 
for kiddos. Well, so there is no model. There is, and, and that's what's really important about all the work that we're doing under Parenting is Political, I hope, is there are general frameworks for how you can create um, an ecosystem of transformation and justice in, in your familial relationships um, and familial units. But there, there's no one model that fits everything. But So what we do in our home in particular um, is whenever our kids come to us and they present this vulnerability or this um, sensitivity around certain things, we engage with them in a process of curiosity about how what they perceive as a weakness or a flaw might make them stronger. Right. Or um, there might be inventive solutions. Uh, for example, Tobias, our youngest baby besides August, we still look at him. <laughs> we still, is still the baby. We still call Tobias our baby, <laughs> even though we have, a, even though he has a younger sibling. Um, Tobias is a very emotive and emotionally reactive kiddo, and he gets his feelings hurt very frequently by his sisters, and they um, gang up on him and use their power to just sort of let him know that he's garbage to them. That's <laughs> <laughs> so true. And so even in the absence of their messaging, he has taken on that messaging. Yeah. And so sometimes when he comes to us and he says, I'm left out, we ask him to consider, um, you know, the ways in which he has more power in the situation. Oh, I'm not good enough. Like, they are perfect and I'm always making all the mistakes. And so we, we... when when they when they have these conflicts, those are opportunities for us to say, why do you think they're mistakes? If they're mistakes to Addison, they don't have to be mistakes to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead of go saying, oh, we'll just go play with your sisters, do what they say, and it's better. We try and help him understand that it's okay if he has a different concept of what's good and right. right. And we also encourage all of them particularly the girls will look at Tobias and say you're doing it wrong don't sweep the floor like that don't wash the dishes like that do it this way not that way and then they agree with one another because they're in coalition and cahoots and so then he begins to believe oh I just don't do it the right way sometimes we power shift and we have the girls listen to Tobias Mm -hmm. and do it his way and then through experimenting with different ways to do things uh, they discover there's no one right way. Yeah. We also discharge uh, our own power and we say, hey, this is how we think it should be done and we're the adults, but that doesn't mean it's right and perfect. Yeah. How do you think it should be done? And the kids are always really shocked by that because they <laughs> came from traditional school setting where they were told there's one right one right way to do certain things. Yeah. So we, we challenge perfectionism in our home through experimentation and curiosity. We also super regularly make sure that we are not associating their behaviors with their worth as people. So we'll say often, like, you made a poor choice. Not like, you're you, bad. Were, you were bad for doing mm-hmm. that. Like, mm-hmm. your decisions were not very great. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll say, we'll say phrases like that, which is just constantly re- reiterating to our kids, like, hey... You can make mistakes. You still have to be responsible for your actions. And sometimes those actions were bad choices. Mm. But you yourself are not bad. You're good. Yeah. And language is so huge, right? Because words build worlds. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, instead of saying that's the right way, that's the good way, sometimes we'll even say to the kids, that's one way that works for you. 
here's another way that works for me. And so we really approach their childhood. We attempt to approach their childhood. Obviously, we don't do it perfectly. Um, In a way that sort of... uh, Tempered by curiosity and almost like life is a grand experiment, y'all. Yeah. You know, that there are so many different ways to get to these destinations and that's okay. Yeah. The other way that we do that is, uh, or, or that we resist habits of perfectionism, is we openly celebrate differences and things that people don't consider desirable. Like, we really love animals that the majority of the people that we know would call ugly. Yeah. And we and we talk about, you know, that sometimes it's just messy and ugly and gross and it's okay. Yeah. Um, we, we also are honest about um, there's no one right way to heal. Sometimes healing looks like drinking a bottle of wine. Sometimes it looks by yourself. Sometimes it looks like taking a bubble bath. Sometimes it looks like meditation. But we try and model messiness to our kids and let them know that that messiness isn't bad. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so, I just feel like there's so many things that we could keep saying about it. And we'll get to a lot of these things later. But like, We have, like, open disagreements in front of our kids to show that, like, even our relationship isn't perfect. And we admit our mistakes to one another in front of our children. Yeah, and we, that, well, that's so, that's such a big thing to do. Such a big thing to do, and if, like, there is a takeaway from this, admitting that you, as the parent, are wrong, that you take responsibility for how you're wrong, that you seek to make right the wrongs and to heal the hurts that you did to your kid, that... Yeah. Gosh, that's if that's just one thing if that we can the change. Only thing you do. Because so <laughs> much huge. because so much about uh um you know, why parenting in the United States in particular is about presenting this front of I'm the parent, I have the power, I'm the person who teaches you, I know everything. Yeah. Really this perfection. And so yeah. you have these young kids who grow up believing that I have to be as good as my mom, my dad, my parent, whomever, because um, they never made any mistakes. Mm-hmm. I never see, and, I, and they never succumbed to any pressure or any anxiety. And so in many ways, the um, antidote to perfectionism in how you model parenting and relationships really is just to be authentic and transparent about your own shortcomings that don't make you bad. They just make you you. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, y'all, I'm going to go hop out because I've got an Aussie yeah. who needs to rock and go to sleep. But thanks for having me on the podcast thanks. again, Mo. Thanks for joining, Jazz. As always, your analysis creates such a fantastic, deeper level of understanding for us. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye, Augie. Good luck out there, buddy. So, y'all, we've, I feel like we've had so much content in this 30 minutes of this episode so far already that um, I had another characteristic of white supremacy culture that I was going to go over. But, like, y'all, I just don't think <laughs> I don't think I want to pile it on. So we're going to save that for next week's episode and we're going to take this slow and we're going to, you know, marinate in all of the, like, the, good, the goodness of this conversation that we just had. Um... And I hope that you take away, seriously, you take away, you, you don't have to be perfect. Your mistakes don't define you. They don't make you worthy or unworthy of love. Um, and just to pass that on to your kids and to change even the smallest things, one thing at a time, y'all. We're not going to change overnight. We're not going to undo all of these 
decade-long habits and ideologies and beliefs overnight. Um, it's going to take time, and it just takes consistency and commitment to making the change. Um, thanks so much for joining us for this episode. I'm glad that we're back. I'm just so excited to do these next couple of, um, well, I guess this, we'll call it like a mini-series within our podcast. Um, I think it's going to be really fantastic. I'm excited to have these conversations. As always, you can, if you want more conversation, if you want to have a dialogue with us, email us. Um, our email is contact at parentingispolitical.org. You can also follow us on Instagram. You can do it on Facebook too, I guess. I don't really, <laughs> I don't really like Facebook. I'm not on Facebook a whole lot. Um, so if you want a fun place to follow us, definitely come on over to Instagram. You can direct message us there and we can have conversation as well. Um, anyway, I'm going to go as well and just really think about all these things If you have any questions, let us know. Other than that, have a great one, y'all. Bye!